Awesome. Praise God. Man, this is a great time to be alive. And it's a great place to be. So if this is your home church, congratulations. You're part of a great church. And I mean that. This, this is a great, great leaders. And um, like Pastor Ben said, this isn't a perfect church. If, you're looking, if you put your expectations on, on these things, no, we put our expectations in the Lord. And what you're going to get here is you're going to get fed really good word. You're going to have awesome worship. How great was the worship this morning? Praise God. Oh, no, yeah, let's give the worship band a hand. Praise God. That was awesome. Powerful worship. And um, it's, it's great. So it's a great place to be. We love being here. It's one of the highlights of our year coming here. In fact, we snuck in two visits this year. We might have to ramp it up to three or four. We'll wait and see. <laughs> so we love it here. Your pastors, pastors Ben and Kara, are special people. I hope you know that. Sometimes if you, you know, Jesus wasn't recognizing his hometown, right? Because sometimes familiarity, we forget sometimes how special people are around us. Uh, but these, this couple are anointed, they are gifted, and they are called here to serve this church. And they could be doing a lot of other things, but they're here serving, praise God. They're making sacrifices every day, and it's, it's just, you're so blessed to have them as your pastors. And I'm telling you, I, if I lived anywhere near, if I was anywhere near the valley, if I was two hours from here, this would be my home church. Because these, these people are anointed by God to, to serve and to, to spread life, praise God. So if, if Ben and Karen are your pastors, then you need to thank them, amen. I mean, they are, amen, come on, hallelujah. And also, they're just great friends of ours. Just love hanging out with them. So any excuse to come down and hang out with them, we have a great time, praise God. So like, like-minded believers. And this is actually uh, where Teradez Ministries top have started, if you like. We actually were serving another ministry, and uh, we'd been pastors before for, in a couple of different churches. I was a youth pastor for, for, uh, for three or four years. I, was working, I worked for an evangelistic organization for a couple of years. So we did all that, and then, then we, got, we worked for another ministry and just served. And uh, we did that for 10 years. And then we came down here for actually for Josh's soccer uh, tournament. Uh, this was in 2000, beginning of 2017. And then on the way back, you know, some uh, good mutual friends of ours put us together with the, with the Diaz's. And on the way back, we, uh, I started praying and the Lord showed me, you know what, you're meant to be out ministering again. You're not meant to just be serving, you're meant to be out ministering again. And I was like, I don't want to, Lord, I want to just serve. And he's like, no, it's your time. And I wrestled with it for about three months. Do you know the greatest battle we have isn't between you and the devil, it's between you and you. <laughs> the greatest battle you're going to have is between God's will and your will. Your spirit and God's will. In fact, that was the greatest battle Jesus had. He, he's, he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, take this cup from me. If I can, you know, if there's any other way, please, Lord. And then he submitted to God's will and he said, but your will be done. And God's will for you is always the best. But sometimes our own thoughts, our own feelings get in the way. So anyway, we submitted, and that was in the beginning of 2017. And we've seen exponential growth, praise God, in our ministry. It's just been amazing. And it's totally been God. And as Pastor Ben said, you know, we're, we're blessed to be able to, to spread the gospel, spread the truth, literally all around the world, through television, through social media. We have a great team in Colorado of staff that work there. We have a great team in South Africa of staff that work there. And we're seeing great things. We launched Power Academy, which I know a lot of you are part of. So Power Academy is online now. If you're part of Power Academy, it just doesn't just happen here on Wednesday nights. There's uh, nearly 4,000 students literally around the world enrolled in Power Academy. So you're part of something much bigger. Um, and uh, we're blessed to be able to do that. So you can get involved with that. If you're not involved in Power Academy, you can come here Wednesday nights, right, Power Academy? Wednesday nights you can come here. And if you can't get here, then you can go online and take Power Academy as well. Praise the Lord. So a couple of things real quickly I've got to talk about before Kylie gets up here. I'll be quick, honey, I promise. She's like... I'll be quick. Okay, this is Carly's latest book here. Look at this, Fearless. I want to give this away. So this is a book that Carly wrote actually before the pandemic. 
What great timing. At the moment in the body of Christ, we need to be fearless. We do not need to let fear in. This is a great time to be alive. In fact, just thank God that he chose you to be alive in the body of Christ during a worldwide shaking, during a worldwide craziness. I want to say, I'm not going to give the pandemic any glory, but it's just a worldwide shaking of the earth. You live in this time. People have lived and died and not had the opportunity to lead the body of Christ in this time. And wherever you're at, you're leading in this time. And uh, it's a powerful time. So you don't want any fear. So be fearless. This is a woman with a bear. I think the bear's asleep. I don't think he's dead. So anyway, some, people, some Peter people are like, did she, kill, did she kill the bear? No, I think the bear is just subdued. That's all it is. Our team, our designer team, we have, we have staff, and they, our designing staff couldn't find this photo on stock images. So they actually got this lady with a child and, that, and, and, then, and then, yeah, and didn't actually use the bear, but they actually used a rock and then, then photoshopped the bear. Anyway, I don't know why I told you that. So, Kathy Duplantis read this. She loved it, so she forwarded it. So, who, who feels like they've got fear in their life and they need some help? This lady right here. There you go. Can I throw it to you? Okay, here we go. This is Chloe's sister right here. Well done. Woo! Good catch. Real quickly. Um, also, I've got a teaching here. Yesterday, we had great fun. I spoke on favor and stuff, and we also looked at the, um, the promises of God for provision. And um, I put this teaching out, and it's tough of to guarantee to get rid of all the religion out of you. <laughs> it's like, get the violence out of you. Because just the title alone will stir you. you. Ready for this? God wants you rich. I didn't write it. it was, it's the Bible. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that us through his poverty might be rich. That's the, that's the word of God. King James says, be rich. New King James says, might become rich. Just like he became sin and we got his righteousness. Just like he, he, he took on pain in his body. We take his healing. He took on our poverty so that we could be made rich. And this will work anywhere. I've got friends in Zimbabwe that this worked at, out of poverty. We know people all around the world in different situations, even in prison ministries, that people are prospering because God's will is for us to prosper. And it's not a selfish thing because he wants us to have more than enough so we can increase his kingdom, praise God, and establish his covenant. So anyway, God wants you rich. Who wants to be rich? This man right here. You have to come and get it, sir. Come and get it. Give him a hand as he comes to get that. Praise God. There you go. Welcome. Be rich. Amen. Praise God. And then last thing I want to tell you about real quickly. Guys, getting anxious. I'm taking the time. April the 22nd to the 24th. This doesn't clash with anything here, does it? I should have asked you this. You're not doing anything during these dates, are you? No. I'm not going to advertise it if you are. But anyway, because there's nothing on here, you can come out to Colorado on April the 22nd to the 24th. And it's called The Cure, Unmask Healing. And it's going to be a great time, praise God, in Colorado Springs. June's a great time. Or April's a great time as well in Colorado Springs. I was thinking about something else. April's a great time in Colorado Springs. It shouldn't be snowing then. So come out April the 22nd to the 24th. And um, you're going to love it, praise God. Uh, Carly's going to be speaking. I'll be speaking. We've got our pastor, Pastor Lawson Perdue, or Lawson Perdue, as we say, who, who loves this church and says hello. And, um, and then we also have our good friend, Prophet Joseph Z speaking. We have, um, who else we have? Me and you. Um, we have Carl and Kerry leading worship, powerful, anointed worship leaders. So you're going to have a great time. So coming out, it's completely free. Unmasked healing. Guaranteed that uh, your life will be changed if you come out, praise God, or your money back. It's a free event. So there you go. So without further ado, I was good, honey. Look, I was only like five minutes. Usually I'm like quarter of an hour. 
Anyway, I don't know five minutes, praise God. So we love being here and appreciate you all. Remember, there's another service at 11, right? 11 o'clock. There's a Spanish service. Tell your friends. If you're watching online, welcome to everyone watching online. We love you all. And you can check this church out next week when Pastor Ben will be preaching next week. So you don't want to miss that. Papa David, go straight to their Facebook or their YouTube and watch. Amen. So this is my favorite speaker in the world. I used to say one of my favorite speakers. And she's like, what do you mean one of? What do you mean one of? So now I have to say she's my favorite speaker in the world. This is my wife, Carly Taylor. Just give her a big hand. Praise God for Carly Taylor. Thank you, baby. Ashley manages to say more words in five minutes than most people do. We've had some of our um, our teachings transcribed, and you know that we uh, that you have to pay these people per minute. Well, Ashley likes to get value per, uh, for money, so he just speaks a little faster. But man, I'm super excited to be here. Every time we come here, it seems like there's more faces. There's more faces. We're in the God's in the business of multiplication, right? He's in the multiplication business. And, um, and so, you know, I was praying about what to share today. And um, how many people have, have heard either me or Ashley teach before? Oh, wow, you came back. That's awesome. That's an even, praise God, that's a bigger miracle. <laughs> but I want to talk today about taking our place. We need to take a place. You know, I, I love those announcements. Those are some anointed announcements. I have to say, I want to go to youth camp. Is, I mean, is that there should be a grown-up camp, right? Come on, how many people? Grown-up camp? I'm just saying, right? There you go. No kids allowed. We're going to have grown-up camp, right? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe somewhere sunny and warm. I don't know. <laughs> right? But, uh, but praise God. There's so many. Every time we come here, it seems like there's, there's more people and there's more things and there's, there's growth and there's life. And, you know, everything that God touches grows. Everything that God touches grows and multiplies and it gives life. And we're no exception to that. We have the life of Christ on the inside of us. And the world needs to be able to see that, right? But in order to do that, it means that we need to take our place. We have a place at the table. We have a place in the kingdom. Jesus secured a place for us. But, you know, there's many, there's many times where we don't really, really recognize the fullness of that. And I was reading this morning in the scriptures, and Proverbs 28 verse 1 kind of stood out to me. It says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Actually, the beginning of that verse is, the wicked flee when no one is, is chasing them. The righteous are as bold as a lion, right? So I used to use that scripture as an excuse not to work out. I want to be wicked, right? I mean, Pastor Ben, I know you don't like running. So there you go. The, wick, the wicked run when no one's chasing them. So there you go. I mean, I'm just saying, Right? I mean, you know, when my body feels like running, I'm like, no, control yourself, right? Bring it into subjection or get a grip or something, I don't know. But, but it says, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know, who are the righteous? That's us. And this is Old Covenant. This is Old Testament. We live in the New Testament in the fullness of Christ in everything that he's paid for us to live. If anyone should be righteous, it should be New Testament believers, Right? So I started thinking about what is this word, uh, this word uh, boldness here. And to be bold, it's, it has a few different meanings, but it means to be confident, to be secure, to trust, to be sure, to be careless. To be careless? Isn't that strange? But when I started thinking about that, it's like we do need to be careless. Not that I could care less about that, but we need to take care less sometimes. Take care less about what the enemy's doing. Take care less about the lies of, of, of the enemy and the things that are going on in this world. Take care more of people, yes, but care less about what the world says about our life. We really need to make sure, and that will make us bold. 
You know, boldness comes from the, the power of the Holy Spirit being on the inside of us. And we, if, you, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll notice the disciples, there's a huge difference between before they were filled with the Holy Spirit and afterwards. Before, Peter's, you know, hiding out and um, denying Jesus and the cock's crowing and, you know, all kinds of things are going on. But after they get filled with the Holy Spirit, boldness comes upon them, right? It changes some things. You know, we're born again, baptized, spirit-filled, demon-chasing, tongue-talking, dead-raising believers. Come on, right? We, this is our description. The righteous should be as bold as a lion. But oftentimes, we don't walk in that boldness because we don't know our place in the kingdom. We have a place. And if we're not sitting in our seat, somebody else is going to be sitting in your seat. Now, I know, you know, this is church, y'all. But how many of you have like your favorite little spot in the church? All right, come on. There's one brave person at the back with their hand up. Okay, one brave person. You're bold as a lion back there, back row. Good job, okay? You know, we are creatures of habit, aren't we? Right, we, we, we like to, we fight to feel safe and secure by doing some of the same things over and over again. But if some, if you come to church one day and somebody's sitting in your seat, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to receive the word. I mean, you know, it just bends us all out of shape. You know, <laughs> there is something about where we sit that's really significant. And it's significant in the, in the Bible too. I want to read you this. This is in Ephesians. Uh, we'll start in chapter four. It says, but God being... Uh, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 4, rather. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. That's good news, right? Even when we were dead in sins, we were dirty, rotten sinners, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Can I get an amen? amen. Right, that's important. And look at the consequence of your salvation. And he raised us up and seated us. Say, seated us. Together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Man, that's, that's important. We have been seated with him in heavenly places. You know, we have been seated in the kingdom of God, adopted into his family. Maybe once we were disenfranchised, we were, we were diseased, we were abandoned, we were rejected, but now you've got born again. You are adopted into the family. You have a place in the family of God. Man, that's good news, right? If you were orphaned, if you were abandoned, if, if, if you didn't have great up, upbringing, whatever, you know what? Now you have a family, the family of God. This is a family here. I love that. Two languages, one family, right? This is about unity. This is about knowing our place. You have a place here. You have a place in Palabra de Vida, right? You have a place in this church. You have been placed into this family, into the family of the kingdom of heaven. I couldn't think a better family to, to be a part of, right? We don't get to choose our earthly families. We don't get to choose that, but God chose you. He chose you. He says, I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. I want all of yous, right? He want all of yous, okay? And he put you in the, in the family. But we need to make sure that we, have, um, that we take our place in that family because there are a lot of things that Jesus provided for us to which we don't see the fruit of in our life because we don't reach out and receive them, right? There are some people that don't reach out and take salvation, but Jesus still provided them for it, right? There are some people that don't reach out and take healing because, you know, Jesus provided for it, but for some reason they just don't respond. Same with prosperity, same whatever, freedom in, what, in whatever area. We need to take our place because if we don't take our place, somebody will. And, you know, if somebody's sitting in your seat, it's always going to be uncomfortable if you try and sit on their lap. I mean, just don't do that. It's kind of weird, 
right? Just don't do that, right? You need to move them out of your seat. You can't both share the same spot, okay? I don't care, right? It ain't going to work, right? It's awkward. But, you know, the, the problem is if we're not sitting in our seat, somebody else will. And the devil is a trespasser. He's a trespasser. And he'll try to claim ownership to your position. You see, when he sees you, he sees in you everything that he wants but can never have. That's why he hates you. He can't be a son or a daughter of, of, of the Lord, right? He, can, he can't have uh, the, the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelling on the inside of him. He can't have God's love and adoration. He can't have the power of the Holy Ghost in him. He can't have the fruits of the Spirit. He can't have any of the things that you have. And he hates you for it. So what he'll do is he'll try and get in and trespass and sit. This is the audacity of the, of the, of the devil. He'll try and sit in your seat. Man, that should make us mad. Right? That should make us mad. Why do you think he wants to do that? Because he knows your position has privileges. As a child of God, you have benefits that he doesn't have. Right? You have benefits. You know, um, well, there's, we travel around the world so much that sometimes we get upgraded, we get to fly first class. It's pretty sweet. I'm just saying, I've, my first, fly, um, first class experience, or actually says it's actually business class. Okay. I don't know. Listen, you can believe for business class, but I'm believing for first class, honey. I'm just saying. There is a difference. There is a difference in the, in the flying experience. Now, we're all going to the same destination on the same plane, but let me tell you, there's privileges in first class, business class, that you don't get back in peasant class, right? You, it's true, isn't it? I mean, you know, with the goats and the chickens. You, you just don't get that. There's no goats and chickens. You know, in the first class, um, in first class cabin, and you know they have that veil that they that they put there between. You know, there's a separation between the classes. It's distinct. We thought like the class system wasn't relevant. Okay. Oh no, it's alive and well. Okay. It's in the airplane. It's on the airplane. And and should you be from peasant class, and you know maybe you get lost along the way and decide to venture into first class, the flight attendant will come and shut the curtain. Get back to where you belong. Right. But in first class, you can roam around the plane like you own the place. And sometimes it's quite nice, actually, to go back to peasant class and really have an appreciation for what you have in first class. You know? It's a, seriously, right? You, suddenly, boldness comes upon you. Like, yeah, I own this plane. Come on, right? I mean, there's, there's an attitude about it. You sitting in first class, you can decide. They give you a menu. This is back in the old days. Before, when the world was normal, you know, and they actually had service on planes. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, they give you a menu. You don't get a little silver foil container with a plastic spoon, right? They give you a menu and a real glass, real cutlery, which I always think is really interesting. You can't have a real knife in the airport, but they will trust you with it on the plane. What is that? Like, I guess terrorists don't pay first class. I don't know what it is. But, um, Anyway, so you have benefits, you know, they'll, bring, they'll call you by your name and they'll, they'll thank you for flying with them and they treat you a little differently. And, you know, you have rights and privileges that, that, that the peasant class people don't have. Now, here's the thing. If, if you decide in first class that you want to give up your first class seat, there's plenty of people back there that will swap with you. Plenty of people. But you can't, as an economy, as a coach passenger, decide, you know what? I feel like a first-class passenger today. I'm, I identify as a first-class passenger. Isn't that, doesn't that seem to be important these days? 
I know I only have an economy ticket, but actually, you see, the thing is, I identify as a first-class passenger, and therefore, really, you need to treat me as a first-class passenger. Otherwise, I'm going to be offended. Right? I'm going to start my own movement. <laughs> I don't think that that would fly, literally. I don't think that would go down too well. Okay? And, you know, if that, if that economy-class passenger happened to be, whilst you were walking around the plane, you know, examining things, if you came back to your first-class seat to take your rightful place and there was an economy-class passenger seated there, you'd be the first person to say, excuse me, I think there must be a mistake. See, this is my seat. This is my seat. I, I have privileges associated with this seat. This seat has my name on it. Right? On my ticket, it has a number, and it's this seat. You're in my seat. You would stand up for it, wouldn't you? You know, but yet in, our, in the real life, in our everyday life, those same things are happening, but we're not necessarily standing up for ourselves. You know, you have a seat with your name on it, with rights and privileges, as a daughter as a, of the Most High God, and we need to make sure that no one else is sitting in our seat. Because that seat has your name on it. Jesus paid for you to ride first class. Amen. He seated you in heavenly places. And that is something that we need to, to understand. When, when you see in the scriptures, there are lots of, seating is very important. Okay, so if you're in the VIP section, you're going to get different treatment than if, if, you, if you're in somewhere else. But seating in the scripture, just like in, in our life today, it had a, a, a significance about it. There was something about it when people sat in a, in, a, in a certain position, it said something about their level of authority and importance, right? It, when somebody, they might not even say anything, they might not utter a word, they might not need to. The very fact of where they're sitting, everybody knows who they are. You know, when you think of a king in a, in a palace, they sit on a throne. No one else can go sit on that throne, Right? And that means they'd be in big trouble. There is a, there is a point of significance um, in the scriptures. I want to show you something in Luke chapter 4. Go on over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Now, this is, um, we call this part of our manifesto in our ministry because Jesus is, is, precedes this by reading um, some things from the scroll. He goes, he goes into the temple here and he, he gets the scroll. We're looking in um, Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is Jesus' manifesto. He was reading it out. He was actually quoting the book of Isaiah. But when he finished, he says, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Say that, sat down. So this is important, this, this, this little phrase here, sat down, it signifies something. He sat down, and then look at what happens next. The eyes of all of those that were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Not because of what he read, people have read the scrolls before, but because of where he sat. That was a, okay, right? This was important, it's like, where did he sit? What, what is that seat that he's sitting in? And he says, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
you know, it wasn't what he read so much, but where he sat that really got their attention. He see, he sat in the temple. He sat in a seat. He was in uh, the Moses seat. Now, this would have been a seat he, where, where Moses, back in, the, back in the Old Testament, would have declared judgment on people. He would have sat. It was a, it was a judgment seat. He would have sat there and ruled and, and, and judged people's sins and different things back there. But Jesus sat in the Moses seat, and he was declaring himself the Messiah. He said, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. Because he was a, this is, if ever there was a, a, a coming out party, Jesus was coming out right in this moment, okay? He was declaring himself in the seat of judgment as the Messiah, as the only one that can bring the, the freedom to the oppressed, deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. He's the only one that could have done that. And that's what got their attention. The seat he sat in was so important, declaring himself the Messiah, declaring that, you know what? He's the one that was gonna be the judge. And by the way, he's already made a judgment and he's found you innocent. He's found you innocent. It was game over at that point. Let's look over in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 1 and verse 3, it says, He's that this is talking about Jesus. He is the brightness of his glory, the express image of himself, and upholds all things by the word of his power. Man, we could just preach on that, right? The word of his power. By everything, God created the world and holds it together, right? When he laid, when he had by himself, talking about Jesus, purged our sin, he sat down. He sat down. Where did he sit down? At the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus sits down so that we can stand up. Amen. That's, that's, the, that's the fact right there. He gives us boldness. Go on over a few chapters later to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And he's, he's made, made his enemies a footstool. This is really interesting because Jesus was giving people an, a glimpse in the moment in, that te, in the temple there when he read the scroll in the temple in Luke chapter 4 of what was to come. He was, he was about to be the propitiation, the payment for sin for everyone, all mankind, one man's blood, the Son of God for everyone forever. Amen. That's a powerful move. Because Jesus made his move, we can, we can, we can live in all of the benefits of, of what he paid for. That's huge. He says, for one time, that one sacrifice was enough, and he sat down. It's done. It's finished. His work is finished. You know, there's three words I want to I wanna look at. These are the... These are the last three words that Jesus uttered before his, um, before his death on earth, okay? And you think, well, what, what are those last three words? Well, let's go find out. We're going to be in John 19. John 19. You see, when we understand the fullness of what Jesus paid for, for us, it gives us boldness to face the enemy in a different light. It gives us boldness to stand up to the challenges of life rather than let the challenges of life wash over us. Right? It, it corrects some things. Look at this. This is the last three words that Jesus said in, in John 19. And um, you know what? We're going to actually, we're just going to back up into verse 28. Okay? So we're in John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that everything was now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Remember, everything that Jesus did during his time on earth was to fulfill the prophecies, the words of the prophet, the words um, that were spoken about him. 
So he says that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. A bowl of sour wine was placed there. They put it on a sponge full of sour wine and of hyssop and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up um, his spirit. And this is important because, you know, in Hebrews it says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, many of us, we start out in faith, Right? But somewhere along the line, I know something didn't work out as we planned. We get disappointed. Maybe we get offended. Someone's sitting in our seat, right? Whatever. We get just hope deferred, maybe makes the heart sick, right? There's, there's things, maybe we have a, a loss or a grief or a pain that, that just seems to become overwhelming. And for some whatever reason, we just get stuck in that place. Well, we started out in faith, but Jesus wants to be the finisher of your faith. You know, to be the finisher of your faith We need to make sure that we're taking our place, that our place in the family of God and the privileges and the right and the authority that comes with that position, with that family name is real to us on the inside. Otherwise, we're going to get stuck. And I don't know about you, but being stuck isn't fun. How many people have ever been stuck, right? And then you get to that point, how do I get beyond, how do I get unstuck? Do I need like an unstucking deliverance? I mean, what is it? How do I become unstuck? Well, really, it comes back to what does Jesus say about your situation? Because it's really easy for us to become an expert in everything the world is doing. You know, I pray for people a lot, and, and oftentimes when people have been chronically sick, you know, they'll, tell, they'll, they'll become an expert in that condition. They'll know everything about it. But what does Jesus say about it? Right? What kind of result do you want? Do you want to be an expert in the medical field and, and, and know all the ins and outs of what's wrong with you? Or do you want to be an expert in the Word of God and know what's right with you? Right? Okay? We need to, be, we need to become a diligent to what Jesus was saying. He says, it is finished. Now, this word is really significant. He wasn't just saying, you know what? It's finished. I'm done. I quit. I'm out of here. Take me out of here, angels. Come on. Right? He wasn't just saying, I quit. It's finished. There is a meaning for that, which, which literally means, you know, the end of something, to be complete. But Jesus wasn't saying that. He said, no, this scripture is fulfilled. My work is done. It's completed. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. Right? We could break out into song over that one. Signed, sealed, and delivered. He wasn't saying, no, I, I'm quitting for the day. I'm done. He was saying, no, this manifesto that he started reading in the temple is done. It's completed. It is, it is um, fulfilled. The tense that word is written in is the perfect tense, interestingly enough. It's perfect, right? It's perfect. Jesus is perfect. But that perfect tense, it means a now ongoing and continuous. Now, even though Jesus says it's finished, yes, it's finished in that moment, but its effects will last for eternity. Isn't that good? Its effects will last for eternity. Jesus' sacrifice for us was once and for all. It was continuous. Remember we read that in in Hebrews. Once and for all, but continuous. It actually, um, the word in in the original language is tetelestai. And it has many different meanings. And this would be a word, I think it's really significant. It would have been a word that was commonplace in the time that Jesus walked the earth. Okay, they would have heard this word. um, It is finished, tetelestai. It had several different meanings. One of them meaning to fulfill or perfect, become perfect like a perfect unblemished lamb. You know, when a, when a priest was looking for a lamb for sacrifice, they would, they would look for a perfect lamb and they would lay hands on that lamb and the sins of the person, whatever they're atoning for, were placed on the lamb and then the lamb had to be sacrificed. There had to be a shedding of blood. 
It's interesting to me that when they saw Jesus, they said, ah, behold the Lamb of God. He's the perfect Lamb, amen? And so when they, you know, is it the, but they couldn't just bring out any Lamb. I think this is interesting. It has to be a perfect Lamb. You know, because some people try and cheat the system. They're like, well, you know, we've got that three-legged, one-eyed Lamb that's probably going to die anyway, right? I mean, I'm just being efficient here, right? Just, you know, let's just kill that one and call it good. Call it the sacrifice. No, no, it had to be the perfect lamb. It had to be the most precious lamb, the one that was unblemished. It couldn't be a duff clearance section sacrifice, okay? It's got to be the best. God gave us his best. He gave us his son, his one and only son that was perfect, that never sinned. So when the priest laid hands on the, on the sacrificial animal, they'd say, Tetelestai, it's perfect, it's unblemished, it's fulfilled, amen. This one makes the grade, right? This, this is going to be a good one. You know, there was, there was other um, uses for this word. It also means complete. You know, Colossians 2.10 says that we are complete in him. Now, I want, to sh- I want to move over, actually. Let's just go to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Colossians, chapter 2, is full of insight, but we are just going to pick a bit of it out for the sake of time. Now, one of the, one of the uses for this word would mean um, it, that something is paid in full. So in a, in a marketplace setting, they would write this word on the bottom of the, like if it was a receipt or something, they would, they would write it on there and say, no, this is a debt. This is paid in full. This, is, this debt is complete. There is nothing owing on this debt. You know, because of Jesus' sacrifice, there is nothing owing that we have to pay. Amen. It's a debt. It's paid in full. They would have seen this. But also it means something more than that. It means a judgment has been settled You know, they'd use this in a court of law. I want to show you something here because this will make more sense. You go to, in Colossians chapter 2 and in um, verse, uh, we're going to look in verse 13. It says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has resurrected together with him, having forgotten you all your sins. Hallelujah. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed authorities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, in the NASB, it says the certificate of debt, right? Rather than the handwriting of ordinances, it says the certificate of debt or the written charges, and you think, well, what, what, is, what is Paul writing about here? He's giving you some insight into the times in which this was written. You know, in a, and he would have been familiar with this, being in his position. But you know, in a court of law, when a, when a prisoner was put into, into the cell, they would have a written charge sheet, the rap sheet. They would write those charges and they'd nail it to the doorpost of the cell. Everybody would know the person in this cell and what they were in there for. It was, ha- it was handwritten on this thing and it was nailed to the doorpost. But you know what Jesus did here? He sets the prisoners free and he takes that charge sheet, that written sheet, and he nailed it to the cross. He said, no, this, this, this debt, this crime, this, um, this egregiance has been paid in full. 
I've paid in full. The sentence has been served. You know, and when the prisoner was released from that cell, they would take down that notice of charges and they, they would take it before the judge and the judge would write this word on the bottom of the charge sheet to say, no, this prisoner must go free now. You must let this prisoner free. Why? Because the sentence has been served. It is finished. It is finished. Man, this alone should give us boldness. You know, God is not holding our sin against us. God is not looking down from heaven trying to catch us out from doing something wrong. You know, when you confess your sin to God, it's not the first time he finds out about it. Right? But the thing is, he's already forgiven you. But it's the first time that when you confess your sin that you're opening it up to the Lord and saying, I received that forgiveness. And we sh- when we do that, we are shutting the door on the enemy. That's why we confess our sin to the Lord. Not because, oh, by the way, newsflash, Jesus, I just did something wrong last week. You know, it's no, that's not when he finds out. He's already forgiven you. He's already paid for your debt. He's already paid for your sentence. He served the sentence you should have served, right? And, he's, and he said, this person must go free. This person must go free. But you know what the enemy does is he tries to get all of our sin, all of our failure, all of our uh, mistakes, everything that we're doing wrong, and wave it in your face like, you know what, this, this is your sin. This is your sin. But you know, he doesn't have any right to do that. He just wants your seat. He's, try, he's trying to weasel his way into your position because he, he's terrified that if you really know everything that Jesus paid for you to do, paid for you to have, you'd walk out of there boldly out of captivity, into freedom, out of sickness, into, into healing, out of poverty, into prosperity. Why? Because Jesus paid for you to live a life of privilege. You are privileged. You're privileged as a son or daughter of the most high God. Let's not forget that. I'm not into the news. I'm not into politics. I know that people have privileges about all sorts of things. They get all bent out of shape over. Well, we are privileged as children of the most high God. Can I get an amen? Right? And that really is the only kind of privilege that we should be, that should be important to us. Amen? Because it supersedes where we were born, the economy, the country we live in, or the color of our skin. We are one race, the human race. Amen? And as children of of the Most High God, we have privileges. But we need to know what those privileges are, right? There is other uses for this word. It is finished. It was a military term. It means to declare the victory. Declare the victory. The battle is won. The battle is over. It means the enemy is finished. The enemy is finished. The commander of the army would say, you know what, Tetelestai, the enemy's finished. Battle's won. Victory's ours. Amen. Tell the troops. Pass it on. Well, we need to understand that because of Jesus, we have more than conquerors in Christ. More than conquerors. He always leads us into triumph. You know, it says this in a... In 2 Corinthians 2.14, thanks be to God who always, always, somebody needs to say always, every way you can possibly conceive leads you into triumph. Amen. He leads you into triumph. Romans 8.37 says that we are more than conquerors through Christ. More than conquerors, not just your average kind of conqueror. Right? You're not just scraping by here. You're more than a conqueror. That's good news. That means that everything that he paid for so utterly, so completely enables us to walk into victory in every area of our life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about that, boldness on me. 
boldness comes upon me. Something changes on the inside. You know, where before you might look at challenges and think, oh man, I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm feeling a bit nervous. I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent. I don't know where, um, you know, I don't know where my job's going to come from. I don't know which direction to go in life. And you know, if we start to focus on everything we don't know, it's not going to help us. You know, that's, the enemy knows everything you don't know, Right? Okay, if you focus on what you don't know, it's not going to help you. We need to focus on what we do know. I don't know how everything's going to work out in my life. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know he's going to do it, right? I'm going to believe God. Guess what? I'm choosing to believe God above the circumstances. When we start to meditate on everything that's good in our life, our faith comes alive. You know, Philemon's 1.6 says that your faith becomes effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing, by the way, that's in you in Christ Jesus, Jesus paid for me to live like first class, right? So I'm believing for first class. I'm not be- you can believe for coach if you want to, okay? You might believe in coach might be your reality right now, but you're, you know what? That's not where you belong. That's not where you belong. You can believe God for bigger. You can believe God for more. There's always more than what you're experiencing right now. And when we have that in mind and we have that before our sight, we're gonna look at Jesus on the cross and say, you know, I'm so excited, it is finished. It is finished. That means my debt is paid in full. I mean, these are great confessions. My debt is paid in full. Who wants that one? Right? Come on. My sin has been forgiven. We should all want that one. Right? Right? He says, my my healing's been provided. Come on. Right? My freedom's been secure. Come on. My future's been determined. Come on. My place has been laid out for me. Come on. I have more. It starts to get us excited. We boldness starts to come upon us. And what that does in a time of challenge is it makes us talk back to the enemy, right? Because all the enemy can do is accuse you. He's the accuser of the brethren. But when we start to understand who we are and what we have living on the inside of us, when that enemy comes in, it's like, I pity the fool, right? I mean, how dare you mess with me? I mean, I know what you're made of. I've seen your plans before. This ain't my first rodeo, right? But let me tell you, I've read the end of the book and we win. We, I said we win, people. Amen. So let's, let's challenge ourselves to start believing God for more because when we do, we are literally taking our place and we're going to stop allowing the enemy to lie to us, to sit in our seat with that audacity. We're going to start to evict some things in our life, uproot some challenges in our life, some things that have been wrong in our life. They've been hanging around too long like a bad smell, right? Some of us just smell bad because we have bad stuff hanging around us. It's not time. We know in this day and age, we cannot settle for less than God's best. We can't. We've got to look beyond. Boldness came upon them. Boldness has come upon you. I feel like the, the Lord really prompted me today to, there are some people in here that need some boldness. They need some boldness. Maybe that you have been beaten up by the enemy. Maybe you've had defeat after defeat, challenge after challenge. You take two steps forward and 16 steps back. But, you know, God has more for you. Maybe you found yourself in a place where, you know, you're just, you just lacking in confidence, that you, you don't even sure faith even works anymore because the, the enemy, the things of life, the just challenges have just been relentless. But God has more than, you, more than, than what you see right now for you. He has goodness planned for you, amen? He didn't go through all that suffering on the cross for you just to to scrape by and just to make it into heaven. No, he came for you to live a life that was victorious in every area of your life. 
So if you've got a challenge that you're really, you seem to be in a place of stuckness, I don't, I don't know, this is not very good English, is it? Stuckness, but you'd like to become unstuck and you want to receive that boldness on the inside of you, I want you to stand up for me. Just stand up. You want to see more boldness? Come on. Listen, we've got, we got to get past our flesh here. Take some courage to stand up, doesn't it, right? You know, the, the, there's, a, there's an edge of your flesh that doesn't want to admit some things, okay? But it's good for us. It's good for us to realize that, you know, I don't have it all together. Jesus, I need you. I need you. Guess what? I got some areas of weakness, and by, he, he probably knew about them anyway, right? Okay, <laughs> all right? But let's just pray. Father God, I just thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just use your prayer language. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for these precious souls. I thank you for these children. Lord, I just ask that you give them a revelation deep down on the inside of them of how much you love them, of how precious they are to you, of the depths of the provision that you have set aside for them. Of this, Lord, I just ask that you give them such a revelation, not a head knowledge, Lord, but a deep revelation that only the Holy Spirit can bring. And fill them, Lord, with your power, with your authority, with your boldness on the inside of them that might see them past the challenges. Open their eyes, Lord, that they might see with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of faith, with a spirit of understanding, Lord. Give them wisdom. Give them peace, Lord, in their, in, their, in their families. I declare peace over you. In your family, in your workplace. Thank you, Lord, right now. Thank you, Jesus. There is someone that has been dealing with a lot of strife in their home, a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, a lot of tension, even between um, adult, uh, parents and in-laws. And right now, I just speak of peace over you. I thank you, Lord, that they are called to be ministers of reconciliation. I thank you, Lord. I, I come against strife in the home right now. There's financial pressures that I'm sensing for a, a job lost, an income that hasn't been replaced, and a season that has gone on too long, a weariness in the soul. But the Lord wants to bring you refreshing. He wants to bring you refreshing. He wants to bring you freedom, security, knowing that your daddy's got this. He's got this. He wants you to change the declaration of your mouth that says, I thank you, Lord, that I have lots of opportunities coming to me. I have favour with God, favour with man. I have a good understanding. Lord, I thank you that doors of opportunities are open for me that no man can close. Lord, I thank you for an upgrade. He wants you to start speaking the same things over your life that He speaks over your life. Thank you, Lord. I call in right now resources. God says, I have people for your life. I have men for your life. I have team members for your business. Thank you, Lord. I see the Lord opening the opportunity of land purchase for somebody. A land purchase. Thank you. I see inheritances. Inheritances unfolding. Somebody has had finances that have been withheld from them. Somebody didn't pay a debt that they owe to you. You have outstanding money. We call that released right now. Released in your, into your bank account in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I speak restoration and restitution. Oh, that's good. Restoration, there'll be restoration, but there'll also be restitution. There'll also be restitution. The Lord is calling someone, you need to forgive. 
There's somebody that you've held in your heart with bitterness, with anger. And you know what? The reason things aren't working out is the condition of your heart and what comes out of your mouth. You are your own worst enemy, but the Lord loves you. He loves you. You know, the Holy Spirit, He wants to, he wants to lead us into freedom. He wants to lead us into truth, to bring conviction so that we might know the truth and the truth will set us free. And if you would just open up your heart today to say, Lord, I repent. Lord, I have held that person in unforgiveness. I don't want that toxicity in my heart anymore. Lord, I give them to you. I give that pain, that hurt, that situation, that offence to you. And right now, I receive your freedom. I receive your freedom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you reveal to us even the hidden things of the heart, the, the insecurities that we don't want to have there, Lord. Right now, we just open up our heart to you, Lord, and we say, Lord, show us the insecurities of our heart that we might become free, that we might become free, that we might take our place, that we might take our place in the, in the family. Thank, you know, there are some people, you have a desire to witness to people, but you're terrified. You're terrified about it. You know, this is boldness. May boldness come upon you in Jesus' Name. Boldness come upon you right now to proclaim the goodness of God in the land of the living. The goodness of God. I thank You, Lord, for boldness to step out and lay hands on people in the middle of the supermarket. Lord, I thank You for boldness to witness to the man that's fitting my tyres last week. Right? Thank You, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, boldness to take up opportunities when I'm riding in the Uber next time. Thank you, Lord, for boldness to reach out and be a part of what I know that you're calling me to do. That God is calling some people to a higher place, to a leadership place, to a place of commitment, to a place of fulfillment. You know what? You don't have to be afraid. This is good. This is for you. This is God. You can do this. He has made you for this opportunity. He has created you for this season. He is calling you now to walk forth in the boldness, in the power, in the authority that a person with His name has. You have His name, His power, His authority moving on the inside of you. Man, I pity the fool. Right now, we rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. We rebuke that fool right out of you in Jesus' Name. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. We come against every challenge, every hindrance, every symptom in our body. We, we come against sickness and against disease and we command those symptoms to get out of our way. Get out of our way in Jesus' Name. I speak strength over you. Strength. Thank you, Lord. Someone's really been dealing with a restless sleep, the sleep apnea. You wake up in the morning exhausted, but the Lord is healing you of that. He's healing you even in your sleep. Thank you, Jesus. The peace that surpasses all understanding might fill their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We believe and we receive every good and perfect promise that you have for us in Jesus' name. And the people said,